Welcome to Women Leading Change, the podcast that amplifies the voices and missions of women changemakers from around the world. My name is Laureen Nolan Card, women's leadership expert, and I'm going to share the strategies that women changemakers use to successfully lead in bold new ways that are in alignment with their values and true to themselves. Listen weekly as I share personal insights and inspiring interviews with women who are being the change they seek to see. So you too can evolve your own leadership skills, grow your own paradigm shifting business and mission and be the change we're all seeking. Joining me today is Shauna Jans. She's dedicated to tending belonging in our world within ourselves, with each other, and with our other-than-human relations. She creates space for reaching into the rough and beautiful places that are a catalyst to transformation and healing, personally and collectively. In her private practice, Shauna guides others in healing and wholeness through individual, family, and community grief support, education, ritual, and ancestral healing. She's been designing and delivering trauma-informed programs since 2008. Currently, Shauna is also a teacher with Ancestral Medicine, a trainer with the BC Bereavement Helpline, and the Education Facilitator with Learning Through Loss. She is the founder of Victoria Holistic Death Care Gatherings and a co-visionary of the annual Deathly Matters Community Conference. Hi, Shauna Jans. Thanks for being with us on the Women Leading Change podcast. How are you today? I'm doing well, thank you, and it's a pleasure to be here. Thanks very much. So Shauna, you are working in the area of death, grief, pretty heavy things. Can you tell us what you're leading right now? Yeah, I would say that for the last decade specifically, it's my work has all revolved around uh, facilitating grieving and coming back into relationship with how to be with grief uh, individually and collectively and in communities in a way that's really life affirming. And that may be because of death or maybe because of any change or transformation. And I would say that in a, in a kind of meta level, I would say that I'm really passionate about creating spaces and experiences that uh, provide the opportunity for transformative healing and learning and to come into deeper connection with ourselves, with each other, and that which is larger than us, however we may term that spirit, universe, um, life, consciousness, whatever. Um, and so within that, the kind of gateways that I've been working with to create those experiences have been around grieving, yes, death, and also um, connection with our ancestors. And what I'm what I see is that what I'm working with is actually cultural shadow work. So th- these are oftentimes things that are have been dismissed or relegated to the shadows of this dominant Western North American culture. And um, so I. Um, how do I shed light? How do I create spaces where we can come back into relationship with these types of things in our life? Because I, I really do believe that when we're able to grieve well, then we can live well. We, when we're able to grieve and be current in our, grie- in our grief, our hearts remain open and we're able to remain responsive to life around us. And you know, I'm, I'm newly a part of the kind of reemergence of... of um, uh, death and dying in terms of how we come into relationship with it in a more grassroots way. 
And again, you know, death has been definitely stigmatized in this North American culture. And, and yet, the more I see and witness and in my own life talking about things around death and dying, it actually allows us to come even closer into life and vitality. Right. And so, so what am I leading? I would say I'm, I'm leading the best way I can and contributing to how to come back into right relationship with those things that have been relegated or dismissed, relegated to the shadows or stigmatized and made irrelevant in our culture. So death, grieving, uh, spirit work, and, you know, working with the ancestors. So yeah, that's, that's what I can say about that in a kind of macro level. Wow. That's beautiful. So what are the shadows? What, what are you seeing reflected in the groups and the rituals that you are participating in and leading? Mm-hmm. What are some of the shadow parts that you're working with? Well, I think it's really important to recognize that uh, grieving is a learned skill. It's not something that we come into the world just knowing how to grieve. Of course, we feel emotions, but how to actually be with those emotions, how to express them in ways that are healthy and, and uh, life-affirming for us, how to bring community in, uh, ritual is part of the work I do. These things are learned skills. And so part of the shadow work is that when these skills haven't, um, when the, the teachings of these skills have been disrupted and the how we grieve and how we approach death and dying is, is culturally, um, has a cultural context. So depending on our own ancestries, we may have different ways of approaching them. But for many of us, those, those life ways, those learnings have been disrupted and that teaching hasn't been happening. So many of us aren't growing up with the opportunities to learn how to be with our grief, how to be with others in their grieving, how to talk about and be around death and dying. And that does a great disservice to, um, to us collectively, I believe. In order to really uh, come to full terms into our own wholeness and to have a deep sense of belonging and connection in our life, I think it's, these things are actually really vital to supporting that. And that, uh, for example, grieving is, is just one aspect of the human condition that when tended to and when supported and when there's ritual technologies around it to actually meet it in the way it needs, it's a very healthy expression and it, and it leads to our own maturation and, and wisdom. And it's an expression of our love. And it's, you know, we can probably agree that in this North American context, there's a lot of, um, a lot of ways and a lot of narratives that tell us to numb out, to get over it, uh, or that it's somehow an individual problem or it's a mental illness, um, and all of these messages that are, are still quite prominent. And so it's how do, we, how do we shake those up? How do we come back into relationship with, uh, with these experiences that we all go through and that can actually lead to a lot of transformative healing and connection and a sense of deep belonging and wisdom in our own lives? Right. Yes. Uh, we all go through it. Yeah. Absolutely. What made you choose to work in this area, Shauna? <laughs> choose. That's an interesting, I, I don't know if I chose it. I think it's one of those things. Chose you? Yeah, kind of chose me. And, you know, I've been one of those people who I've never been one to kind of sit down and think about my three to five year plan or anything like that. I've, I've always been very intuitively guided and, and heart guided, heart led. And, you know, even my, the kind of path to getting to where I am now, it's been very circuitous. It's been anything but a straight line. 
And I've loved that. I love the diversity of that. And, um, and it's constantly changing. Like even now there's pivots happening and part of, part of my, I guess, drive in the world is how do I, how do I come into my own wholeness and my own soul's purpose in as close of a way as I can in this, in this incarnate expression of myself. And it's sometimes just been one step at a time and finding Mm -hmm. myself here. And so I'm continually trying to choose whatever feels really soul resonant with me, even if I don't exactly know why or where that will lead. Now, what has been um, happening is that in the last decade or so, so there's things that that have started to remain quite constant on that path, which is telling me that I'm getting closer and closer to that sweet spot of my Mm -hmm. own soul's kind of medicine and purpose in this life. And so definitely working with grief and working with uh, ritual and working with ancestral reconnection and healing, um, which then also all, all includes death and dying. Also, it's kind of, it's kind of my jam. It's feeling like I've, I've gotten closer and closer to what it feels really aligned for me. Beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. I really get that. So doing what feels soul aligned as you're going through being really fluid in the process and intuitive about what lights you up and what's your jam. Mm -hmm. There's some, you know, from my experience, I know that there can be some real tension in that. I mean, the overarching culture tells us to make goals and have a three to five year plan and know where we're headed and what's our life purpose and what's our passion and a lot of heaviness around that. Um, And so there, there can be some tension around that. Have you experienced that? Oh, of course. Um, I think, I think part of that is we living in a culture that is so steeped in values of well, capitalism and and patriarchy, and and is rooted in a colonial history. Is that there's so much value being put on in order to be meaningful, you need to be productive. Yes. And there, and then, and then that tension of control and. Uh, what do you do for yourself to manage that tension or what, what you know, what are the, the things that you do for yourself uh, around that? Yeah. I mean, it's, uh, I think it's always changing. I think what I try to do is to keep a larger view of the importance of emergence and, and not fully knowing. Cause when we start to assume that we know what we're going to need five years from now, then that might actually put kind of blinders on that, that don't allow us to see because life changes a lot in five years. And I'm not saying that having a vision isn't important. I'm someone who actually spends a lot of time visioning, right? um, but I don't always say exactly what it is or the details. I say, how, let me be, how am I going to be a fuller expression of being of service in the world? Um, And that kind of like, what's the kind of gestalt feeling of that? Um, And I would say that it's a constant struggle for me. I'm someone who, you know, I was just having a conversation recently. This is ongoing for me is that I, yes, absolutely. Like we all, we can get caught up in the larger dominant narratives of like, be productive, go, go, go. What does success look like? And so I try to be aware of that, but I'm also a person who just has a lot of like life force in me. And I love creating, it's a passion of mine. And, uh, to bring something from a vision into manifest form. And so I will sometimes, sometimes I'm I'm constantly in a back and forth between, am I working too much because I love my work and I'm being of service and the times kind of feel urgent, like we're kind of in a hot mess right now. And, and 
and my my kind of main goal is to be of service and to do the best I can to show up in a yeah. meaningful meaningful way. And so it's a constant tension and I'm not sure if that will ever go away. I think I think sometimes tension can actually be a very generative thing. Yes. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, so I don't have any like answer for that. I mean, there's things that I do to help try and keep me grounded and, and yeah, I'm, I'm curious about that. I'm curious, um, how we hold that tension because sometimes that is, uh, all we can do and, and it is generative as you say. So it, but we still need to, to manage that, you know, um, as the humans that we are, how do we keep ourselves grounded or you know, from be, letting the tension drive us crazy kind of thing. Totally. So do you have any practices or rituals or kind of go-to self-care um, things that you do for yourself? Yeah, I'm, I'm definitely someone, it's really important to have my Shauna time. And all my good friends know, I'm just like, ah, oh, Shauna time. They're like, okay, great. You know, see ya, see you on the other side of that. Okay. <laughs> um, um, but also I'm, you know, I live a very spiritual life and I, it's all, not until recently that that has become more at the forefront of what I express, but, uh, I'm constantly in communication with spirit and with my own ancestors and, um, requesting support, requesting help, requesting, um, you know, I'm, I have divination practices, um, and, I make sure I'm out in nature a lot and connecting with our other than human kin in, in my life. That's a really a source of support and um, rejuvenation. Um, I nap. Napping is really important for me. It's like pretty much every day I have a nap. And, um, but I would say, yeah, these things, these things help keep me tethered and help me work in that tension. And sometimes, you know, it's, it's, it's not like I have the perfect balance. There's times where I'm like, Oh, I'm, I'm saturated and I need to recalibrate. Mm -hmm. And, um, that also is because I, I also love diversity and I love, um, I can wear many hats and sometimes I'm like, Whoa, that's too many. I need to now recalibrate. And I think, you know, as someone, as a woman who's also self-employed, uh, it can, it's its own, uh, landscape to navigate in terms of contracts and busyness and slow times and riding things out and trusting the bigger picture. Or, you know, there's times where I find myself in a bit of a scarcity mentality of like, <gasps> right. And, and learning how to lean into spaciousness, um, reminding myself that the downtime is actually, I mean, this is a bit of a trick for my ego. Downtime is generative, therefore have it right. So, <laughs> so downtime can be generative and that's a trick you tell yourself um this the spaciousness and the being in attunement with your own intuition allowing yourself um that and and the other connections that you create for yourself in your life um are these all part of your would you call it um the ritual of life that you, the dance of life that you're doing, is it now part of what you're doing in your life? Absolutely. I, th I think it's kind of seamless in that way. To me, uh, ritual, ritual isn't just about sitting down and, and doing a, so a few symbolic actions. I mean, it is part of that for sure. Um, for me, the way I approach ritual is, is ritual is a way of coming into deeper connection and relationship with life. And mm. so um, whether that be with spirit, with my ancestors, whether that be with um, the other tree kin that I get to be surrounded by where I live. Um, and it's a, it's a way of communicating. And so 
uh, it's actually kind of a simple technology. It's like you and I right now talking across a, a, you know, a computer screen versus texting versus picking up a phone. Uh, ritual is, is just one way of communicating. And for me, it's really important to reclaim how to come into deeper relationship mm-hmm. um, and right relationship with myself, with other people, but also life around me, both in the seen and unseen world. Right. Um, yeah. Yeah. Beautiful. Well, I kind of think that all of life is a ritual, really. Yes. Uh, it's filled with rituals every day, whether we choose to make them meaningful and soul-inspiring and soul-affirming, or we choose to numb out to it or not see yes. it as something that's connecting us. Yes. Well, um, do you have a leadership style? Have you ever reflected on your leadership style? <laughs> yeah. Interesting. Well, I think it's it hasn't... I've always known and spirit has always been guiding me and nudging me despite the fears that I need to be stepping more and more into my leadership. Mm. And, uh, and I was saying in the last five years, particularly that I've become more and more comfortable in even, uh, claiming that, that word, but I also know like leadership looks so many different ways. Mm-hmm. Um, but I know for me, uh, just to give a bit of context, like there's been, a, there's been fear to step in and claim leadership because of there's a visibility, there's a vulnerability to that, uh, yeah. for me anyways, that's been part of the challenge. And, uh, and yet it also is, feels delightful because it's part of being in soul alignment with, with what I'm meant to be doing. And so you know, there's a, there's a tension there. Uh, what is my leadership style? Well, what I guess I can say is that my hope and what I strive to, to embody when I show up to spaces, whether I'm in a facilitation mode or an actual leading mode, or if I'm actually a participant, but also a natural like space holder in a group is how do I be, well, there's a few things, definitely always authentic in, in my full expression, uh, which is intimately tied to what I call being congruent. Mm-hmm. And so I strive in my leadership and in how I show up to spaces to be congruent in myself to, you know, I've done years and years of my own personal practice and self-healing work and self-reflection and self-awareness. Of course, there's many years to come of much more of that. I think it's lifelong but I really value that in others. And I val- and I, and so I, I embody that the best way I can, which means I don't always have to know everything. I don't have, like, I'm, I'm aware of my responses to people and aware of my own process and, um, and try to be as aligned in that way between a uh, mind, heart and, and gut, uh, right. it, as much as I can. And, is that what congruence is for you? What? Yeah, congruence is, is knowing where my own blind spots and de- um, defensiveness may be, where my own shadow is. And it doesn't mean it had to be perfectly healed, but it means I need to know that they're, they're not unconsciously taking the front seat right. of any particular time and that I can name them in a moment mm-hmm. and, and, um, and be in integrity that way. Uh, so that's, what's really, yeah, that's really important to me. Um, so congruence and being in alignment with all the work you've done mm -hmm. and you show up, when you show up, you show up authentically. I know this of you and I know that you, you are very real and you know, you're, you're not hiding behind any masks. You're not hiding behind any labels. Mm -hmm. 
And, and so you mentioned the fear, um, and I can understand when we are so open and it makes us vulnerable. Yes. Yes. Um, And so there's that fear and have there been any other challenges or things that have been really hard, you know, as you step into leadership? I think, yeah, I think a part of me can fear a little bit, like, so when I think about my leadership style and I think about just what's important about leadership in general, for me, it's how, how do we support the environments and the opportunities for all different types uh, of folks, of women, um, whether that be uh, cisgendered women, trans women, women of color, disabled women, women of different ages, how do we provide the opportunities for all of us to come into our wholeness so, so that we can step into that and be given these opportunities because leadership can look many different ways. Right. And I think, so I, I, I really value understanding that we each have unique gifts and a multiplicity. There's a multiplicity of ways of being and doing and knowing in the world. And because of the context that we're in, this patriarchal context, um, there can be uh, sometimes what happens is there can be um, a like, okay, we just can't do it that way at all. That's just, that's just uh, the wrong way. So we need to swing to some other, like what's the opposite way. Mm-hmm. And um, part of uh, my challenge is that my leadership style is, and this has been reflected to me in many ways. And I struggle to kind of be in this embodiment sometimes uh, it, because I think it can be misunderstood is that yes, there's parts of me and depending on what the situation requires, it's very gentle and very empathic and very holding the space. But there's other parts of me that are highly intellectual, very direct in my communication and actually quite fierce. Mm-hmm. And I'm not afraid to show um, a response of, let's say, anger, if it's in right relationship to what's happening. And I'm, I understand the reason why, you know, and the impacts it could have, right? And is this a, is this, um, a generative thing? All of, and so what I struggle with is that, uh, I will be misinterpreted as, um, recapitulating certain ways of being that, um, for very good reasons need to be in our larger cultural uh, atmosphere need to be re- like dismantled, and right. um, and I'm not. I mean, we're, we're all we're all swimming in the soup of of patriarchy, and there's deconditioning that we all need to do. And I'm not saying I'm that that's absolutely the work I need to do, but I fear that my own like directness and times is going to be um, misrepresented because of the huge shadow work that we're still working with within a patriarchal culture. Is that making sense? Yeah. I think what you're talking about is kind of the projecting, um, actually projecting what people have experienced in the past and maybe it's had a negative undertone. Um, this is what it sounds like you're saying. Um, and, and for example, being direct and maybe being even, um, emotionally angry or fierce, Mm -hmm. And, and that there's a place and a right place for that. You're allowed to express those things. It is important to be direct. Um, and, and there's a right place for that. But that can get labeled as something other than that because it's really a projection from the other who's giving it a label. 
Sure. Yeah. yeah. Is think, that kind of what you're saying? Yeah. Yeah. Thank you for, for that echo back. I think it's part of, this is actually comes back to congruence is that I'm not afraid to step into my wholeness and to be in my emotional self and also yeah. my intellectual self. And and, and I'm learning continually how to integrate those more and more, but I'm absolutely worried about projections on that. And I mean, that is a part of the symptom of this larger cultural context we're in is that these messages uh, that women can only be a certain way or that we're too emotional. And therefore we should, somehow, we have to like somehow shut that totally off to be seen as credible. And yet I, it's been such a gift for me when I've been around mentors and colleagues who don't have those projections that they're throwing at me. And I can, I'm actually really seen Mm. for the gifts of my presence and congruency and actually thanked for those moments that are both empathic and gentle and the moments that are fierce and direct. Um, because that's me being in my congruence. Yes. Um, so I, so part of me is like, how, how do we gift each other these opportunities so that we can continue to reassure and affirm that this way of leadership of showing up is valued and is accepted and it's worthy and it's credible. And how do we create that for all of us who are stepping into that yes. in a integrated and whole and, um, and balanced? Mm-hmm. Yes, that's a great vision. Mm. Just really enjoying that moment. Yeah, thank you so much. Do you have ideas for how we do that? What's coming to me in this moment, and that's been important for me, and it's a continual learning, is uh, one aspect of how we do that is for all of us to be very aware, I think, of our own social location and our own places of privilege. Right. Understand that there are systemic oppressions that are very real and happening in, in our culture. And so how do we beware of our own places of privilege and how do we still like step into our wholeness while also learning how to recognize and create opportunities that uplift others who may be in a different social location, who may be at a different intersection of these larger cultural and structural, um, ways Mm -hmm. and so how yeah how how do do we navigate this yes how do we how do we navigate this how do we become aware of our own place in this how do so I you know I recognize that there's there's a certain privilege that allows me to be as exploratory as I am with with following my heart following my intuition and if we're not careful, especially in this Western culture that's so focused on the, the individual and like it's individual success and it's about individual self-care. And if you're, if you're not making it somehow, your self-care regime isn't good enough, right? right? It's very individual. So in, in my own experience, how do I become aware of, wait a minute, whose voices are being uplifted and heard and whose aren't? Right. Whose life experiences, including my own, have been given more visibility and whose hasn't. Right. So what I continue to to be mindful of and to bring awareness to and to hopefully continue to embody more and more is asking those questions and ensuring that in my own need as a woman to step into her wholeness and claim that way of being, that I'm also creating and contributing in meaningful ways, opportunities for others 
who have uh, different lived experiences, different voices, different identities, different ethnicities, et cetera. Um, uh, yeah, how do we be how do we be aware of this so that the entire ecology is one that's in right relationship? It, mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, it's such a complex uh, arena, mm-hmm. and it's such important work, and it's mm-hmm. it's the work that we need to do collectively right now. I believe. Yes. So there's lots of lots of questions, and I think that even having the awareness and asking the questions, you know, it's a starting point, mm-hmm. and. Um, I don't expect you to have all the answers. So I appreciate your reflection on that. I'm just thinking of, of those people who are in less privileged uh, places and are not the voices that get heard, are not the stories that get heard. Um, how difficult, you know, we are afraid to step into our wholeness as white women in, um, in the Western world who have... Um, you know, by relationship, um, probably pretty privileged lives. I don't know your background, but I'm, just by where you sit yes. in in life right now, I would say that you have privilege that others don't. Absolutely. Um, so it's hard for us to step forward in our wholeness. And I'm imagining what it must be like for others, yes. you know, that I have empathy for that and, and how it must be very difficult to step forward um, in that. And showing up, I mean, there's a kind of, um, this is coming up for me lately, you know, showing up to the conversation Mm -hmm. and allowing others to show up and creating an environment that's allowing of that. Mm -hmm. Do, um, have you run into that? How, you know, you, you are creating these spaces for deep healing and conversation around the healing. How do you expect people to show up right at your at your gatherings yeah I mean my god there's so many different things that I offer so just a bit of context so you know it could be one-on-one work grief support or ancestral healing work Uh, I I do a lot of facilitation and group process and training others I, I have online programs and so for me what's been really important is to start especially because uh, this Western culture is so individualistic is starting to really connect the personal healing with the cultural healing and to say that they're not, they're not separate. They're one and the same and they, they're absolutely intimately connected. And so uh, one avenue for me is to recognize like something as, as quote unquote simple, not really, but as coming into relationship with our grief is to recognize that you know, the cultural context of grieving, the ancestral context of grieving, that that this is a story that's not just about individuals being at fault and somehow not knowing how to grieve well and therefore feeling shame about it. It's it's a it's a larger picture. And so coming into more of an understanding of diverse histories and of people of different ancestries and my own my own ancestral people and stories and narratives that take it out of an individual, put it into a collective historical um, narrative and story and how to start coming into, and to reconcile my own heart and body with the places in my own lineages um, where my people have both been perpetrators of let's say violence or colonialism, but also been on the receiving end of those things throughout different Mm -hmm. parts of history too. Mm -hmm. And so the more that I 
do that healing work and reconcile that as, and as we know, like I'm, I'm talking about connecting with our ancestors and spirit, but we know like through epigenetics and the increasing scientific understanding that, yeah, I mean, trauma is inherited through generations. And yes. so, and so the more that I continue to come into connection and understanding with my own people and my own story and, and those of others, the more I'm able to show up right-sized in any situation uh, without any, uh, uh, with less, let's say, of either uh, um, ancestral low self-esteem or to like, like inflated uh, esteem right. for my people, for example. So when we see um, things playing out around like sexism or racism, um, this is, I mean, these are directly related to kind of ancestral wounds of my people are better than your people or Mm -hmm. my gender is better than your gender. Um, You know, and even to have the very binary concepts of gender is, Mm -hmm. is problematic. So, so I guess what I'm trying to say is that what I continue to do doing is to do my healing work around that. And then also that's part of what I'm offering others. And, uh, and to recognize and to start shed light on where, where have I, where do I need to decondition, um, around my understandings and, and because of my, uh, life, life path and how can I then provide opportunities where other people can start thinking and engaging in that themselves also. And for me, this is super important about how we show up, not just with other people, but even in our relationship to earth, right? When we're living at extremely capitalist extractive times, and that's, that's a total disruption in relationship and etiquette with earth. Um, yes. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So a lot of awareness around that. Um, and have you run into any problems where... You know, uh, I know that you recently held Deathly Matters and it's mm-hmm. a yearly gathering um, that delves into all the things you've been talking about here today. Um, well, a lot of them, not all of them. And I'm just wondering if you've run into any issues of people showing up and not being prepared to do the work. Mm. You know, when my Deathly Matters is a, we just had our first annual conference. Um, that was our first annual one. It was successful and it was sold out and it was connective and it was just full of vitality the whole day, you know, coming to talk about death. And it's, it really is uh, a, a beautiful day. It was a beautiful day. My experience is mainly working and supporting others through grief and those experiences. And so what comes to mind uh, with your question is, there's a lot of trep- there can be a lot of trepidation or fear. Uh, you know, if I go there, I'll never come back. You know, or or certain storylines, different personal or cultural things that we've learned about how to relate or not relate to our own grief experiences. And often, the first you know, people may come to me being like, "I'm stuck. What do I do with this?" And the, usually, the first thing it's not so much what we need to do, but what we might need to undo is how how what have you learned uh, explicitly or implicitly about how to relate to your own grief? Have you been taught that it's something that you don't express? 
Um, have you been taught that emotions uh, mean you're out of control? Have you been taught, did you grow up in a, in an atmosphere where emotional expression was actually dangerous or uncontrollable, or was it something that was really met and encouraged? Mm -hmm. And so to start bringing awareness to both our personal relationship to grief from our own family systems, um, and experiences, but also the cultural relationship to grief, um, and the, the dominant narratives that we're all steeped in that even if I know it cognitively like yeah I know that it's it's can be healthy for me to cry mm -hmm. I may know that cognitively but if I grew up in a situation that perpetually gave me feedback that to show my emotions wasn't safe or healthy then it doesn't matter what my cognition thinks because my whole body nervous system has been wired to that understanding so right. it's working really gently and just bringing the first is really just education and, and bringing these reflections. And I would say that even those folks who may come, and it's not that they're not willing to do the work, but there's these trepidations and fears, they often don't, it doesn't last long. There is such an organic, natural movement of grief. If it's given the right container and it's met well without judgment and with some education and pacing, grief is relational grief needs relationships and so once we kind of sift through some of the stories that are inhibiting it then it, it tends to just naturally start flowing in a really beautiful healthy way and it just may take some education first about how to recognize our you know our own bodies our own our own beliefs that we grew up with what what serve us what don't yeah yeah beautiful well, I always say that um, under grief is the love and the, yes. gift, the gift of from grief is the love. Yes. Yeah. Thank you so much. Yeah. Um, I mean, grief, grief is our love. Grief is yeah. our love. It's our it's expression of love. And we don't grieve the things we don't care about. Absolutely. So that's why to me, grieving actually is an act of healing justice. And uh, because when we grieve, we're expressing our love, it means we're profoundly connected. And when we're profoundly connected, it means we care and we show up for the things that we're connected and care about. Yes. And so whether it be our families or whether it be feeling the grief for the ecological loss in our world, it allows us to be current to not feel like we have to numb out. It allows us to keep an open heart so that we can continue showing up for ourselves, for each other, for our families, for the earth, for social justice, you name it. Beautiful. One last question. Mm -hmm. um, you mentioned a couple of times ecological grief. Um, are you seeing more of that in, in the communities that you're serving? Yes, but likely because... I'm starting to name it and hold specific spaces for it. So naturally I'm seeing it more. That's and I also think that it's just really up in our collective consciousness right now. How, how can it not be? I think it's something that we've all been experiencing for quite a while, but maybe couldn't name mm -hmm. because so many of us are maybe not yet really current with our own personal grief in our own lives mm -hmm. because not because of any individual fault, but because of um, just not having the support that we need and not having grown up in a culture that's really um, grief friendly. We, right. We're living in a culture that's quite grief phobic. Right. Um, sometimes, sometimes it matters. To, sometimes it, it matters that we know what we're grieving. Um, and so if we're, if, if someone is caught up in um, life situations 
that are our personal, you know, their own personal life situations that they're needing to grieve and not getting support of it. They're not going to have a whole lot of bandwidth to really start thinking about ecological grief. Yes. Right. right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so, so, and let me say this also, when I think about grieving and reclaiming the skills of grieving, I get an image of like a circular room that has many doors that go into the same room. Mm. And there's different types of losses, uh, which are each door, right? So it could be personal losses and maybe the logical loss, maybe feelings of spiritual grief and loss, maybe um, uh, disenfranchised grieving, which is those that don't get recognized by our culture. Anyways, there's all these different doors. And sometimes it really matters to know which door we came through and to specifically grieve that specific situation. Sometimes it just matters that we've entered a door and we're just in that room. Right. Grief is grief is grief. And as long as it's being released and transformed and it's held and it's relational and we're not, and we're within our own window of tolerance and our nervous system, all these things, then it's healing and it's healthy. It's not always necessary to be able to name Mm -hmm. uh, the grief to a story. Yeah. Right. Okay. Great. Thank you so much. I feel like I could talk to you for a very long time, um, but in the interest of time, can you tell us uh, how our listeners can support you financially or otherwise and a little bit about where we can find you? Oh, beautiful. Um, yeah. I mean, I'm always love connecting in terms of podcasts and interviews. So if you're interested in engaging in more of a conversation around any of this, I'm so welcoming of invitations for for these types of connections. And otherwise, my website, shaunajans.com. And from there, you can also uh, check out some of my online programs and just reach out, send an email, say hi. If there's something that resonated with you today or, or if any of the listeners have questions or anything, I'm really happy to hear from you. And um, yeah, just really thankful for this opportunity, Lorraine. Thank you. Thank you, Shauna. Thanks very much. Take care. Thank you for tuning in. If you enjoyed the show, please head over to iTunes and subscribe. When you leave us a review, I'll select one lucky reviewer each month to receive a special prize. You can also find us on the very special Divas That Care Network at divasthatcare.com. Until next time, keep being you.